Thank you that you're the one who is closer to us than a brother. Lord, we just think of that, that proverb which says that there is one who is closer than a brother, and that is you. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that we can come before you and bring our lives to you and wait on you. Lord, we thank you that you are the just one, that you are the one who will not let evil continue unabated, that you will not let evil destroy forever. Lord, we, we come as those who, who look at our world and say that this is not how you would have it be. And yet we also come as those who say, be what it may, God is still God, and he is for us. We thank you for that. Lord, if you were not for us, where would we stand? If our God is for us, what could ever stand against us? And if our God is with us, then who could stand against us? Lord, we, we thank you that you are with us. And I, I pray now, Lord, as we look at this passage of Habakkuk, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear it and to see it and to understand it, Lord, and, and that we would not only look at Habakkuk, but, but we would also be inspired by him, Lord, and, and that you would use his life and his story to, to, to show us what it means to trust you, to show us what it means to live our lives this side of your kingdom. Lord, break our hearts as you broke his heart and solace our souls as you gave him solace. Amen. So, finally we're at the end of Habakkuk. It's been one of those really, really long books. And I bet you guys have wondered, when are we going to get to the end of Habakkuk? A whole three chapters. But we've made it. We've made it. Isn't that fantastic? And you know, it's only three chapters, but wow. Aren't a couple of those chapters really hard going? The first chapter, if you remember, is Habakkuk going, God, look at my society. We're supposed to be your people, and yet there's just corruption and lawsuits and, and people are fighting people and there's violence everywhere. You are God, aren't you? Aren't you going to do something, God? His complaint against God. God, where are you? How long are you going to put up with us? How long are you going to put up with our society? And, and, and we looked at it and we said, you know, our society is not much better and, and, and surely we should also be asking God, how long are you going to put up with, with the violence in our land? Lord, this is not in keeping with what your kingdom is. And we also looked there and we said, you know what, Habakkuk teaches us that, 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 that we can actually bring our complaints to God. We don't have to treat God with velvet gloves. We we, we can come to him and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. And, and, and God, this is serious. And, and God, what are you doing? God doesn't mind us asking him any of those questions. And the amazing thing is that God, we saw, responds and says, okay, hold your horses, stop navel-gazing, look out a bit, I'm doing something. We're going to bring the Babylonians in. They're going to deal with the issue. <clears throat> and we saw that that's God's good at giving surprising answers because he deals with the violence that Habakkuk complains about with a whole bunch more violence. Um, 
which ended up in the second week with Habakkuk going in chapter 2, okay, how does this work, God? Aren't you the holy righteous one? And yet, you're putting up with this. And we saw God saying, you know what? You know what, Habakkuk? I am the holy and righteous one. And, and I'm in charge. And I can use them if I want to. But ultimately, my glory, the knowledge of my glory, will fill the earth. And, and ultimately, Habakkuk, it's not about nations. It's about faith. And we saw that most fantastic verse, um, which, which really summarizes the Old Testament and the New Testament. Habakkuk 2.4. Um, I hope you all memorized it last week. It's really, really easy. The righteous one will live by his faithfulness. Or to shorten it the way that the New Testament does, the righteous will live by faith. What a fantastic verse. In the midst of Habakkuk's complaints, God says, Habakkuk, do you trust me? Live it out. And so we come now to Habakkuk chapter 3, <clears throat> which is a, a really wonderful, wonderful chapter, because here we find Habakkuk having confronted all of the things that broke his heart, having heard God's answer, and what he does is he breaks out, and writes it down, but he breaks out into song. Um, so, Glenis, your version, you read to us, he says that this is the prayer of Hag Habakkuk, according to the thingamajiggy bob, um, which is just a nice way of saying this is the prayer of Habakkuk that he sung according to this instrument, that Shigayaloth, uh, uh, I look it up, it's in the footnote of my Bible, Shigionoth, Shigionoth, it's a musical term, it's one of those terms that you find in the Psalms. So we could have said, this is the Bible reading according to the music that Pam's going to play for us. And we, we, we could have sung it, if we so wanted, except it would have to be Anna Marie, because verse 19 says it's stringed instruments. <clears throat> Do you know what I love about this? Here is Habakkuk. He's gone through all of this journey with God. But it's not just about his journey with God, because what he does is he writes it down, and he says, look, this is how it should be sung. This, this is something that is to be remembered. This, this psalm that he sings is for future generations. This is for us to, to, to celebrate who God is, to celebrate that God is the just God, to celebrate that God is our Savior. It's a, it's a statement of faith that we can together remember the goodness of God. And Habakkuk, he responds in two ways in verse 2. He says, I've heard all about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. Or I'm, I'm filled with fear of you, awe of you. Um, not fear as in I'm terrified, but wow. God, wow. He says, this is, this is where I start. What a great way to start a song. Wow! God! But look at what his second thing is. He says, in this time of our deep need, for them, Babylon attacking, violence in the land, for us, whatever our needs might be at the moment, in this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by and in your anger. And in 
your anger, remember mercy. Says Habakkuk, wow, God. Will you do it again? Wow, God, will you do it again? But Habakkuk, remember, is, he's been complaining about his own people. He says, how long will you put up with us, God? And so he says, God, yeah, you're angry, but I know you. I, I know that you're not just the God of anger and wrath. I know that you are also the God who loves us. You know, one of, one of the, the most important things that I've learned recently is that the wrath of God, the anger of God, is an expression of God's love. It's a jealous love. If God didn't get angry when we were unfaithful to Him, that wouldn't be love. That wouldn't be love at all. If I went out and slept with all the prostitutes in Australia and Taryn looked at me and says, meh, that wouldn't be love. If she chopped my arms off, that'd be love. I'm not going to do it. I value my arms. <laughs> Habakkuk says, God, I know you. And I know you love us, but, but I also know you're merciful. You treat us better than we deserve. You treat us so much better than we deserve. Wow, God, I remember what you've done. Verses 3 to 7, he goes back and he thinks back to that big event for them, the Exodus. Um, you have to read a little bit. It's, it's, it's kind of poetic language looking at it. He says, I see God moving from the deserts, across the deserts from Edom, and the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. Coming from Taman, some of your translations will say. Uh, Deuteronomy 33.2, uh, there's a possibility that Mount Paran is, is possibly just another name for Mount Sinai. Uh, and, so, and so what Habakkuk says, you know what, I see you coming, God, and, and leading your people. And I see the light of your glory. I, I see your blur, br uh, brilliant splendor filling the heavens and, and the earth being filled with your praise. Your coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from your hands where His awesome power is hidden. That word rays, only ever used one other time in the Old Testament. Um, and it's used of Moses when his face is shining. He says, God, I, I see your glory. And, and, and it reminds me of, of the glory that we saw when your servant Moses met with you. The praise which you give and the praise which we give fills all of creation. You remember chapter 2 verse 14 uh, last week. In the middle of God saying, you know what, Babylon will, will not last forever. God says, hang on Habakkuk, there will come a day when the knowledge of my glory will fill the earth. The knowledge of my glory and and, and here Habakkuk turns around and says, Wow, God, I think back to the time when we praised you and, and the praise of your goodness filled all of creation. 
What a, what a great, what a great bookending, isn't it? Bookending praise with glory. Verse 5, he says, pestilence marches before God. Plague follows close behind. Again, this links back to, to the Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter 5, verse 3. Um, Moses and Aaron went to, to Pharaoh and said, Oi, Pharaoh, let us go and worship God, because if you don't, God's going to strike us down with plague and pestilence. And we know what happened, that, that in fact it was the Egyptians that God struck with plague and pestilence. Because that is who God, God is powerful over all things. When he stops, when God stops, the earth shakes and when he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the faithful one. You remember when the people of Israel stopped at Mount Sinai? And God said like three or four times, don't let the people come close to the mountain. And the mountain shook. And there were dark clouds. And there was lightning. And there was fire. The earth shook when God stopped to meet with his people. And this is poetic language. But isn't it fantastic that Habakkuk looks and says, the eternal mountains flat because you, O Lord, are the eternal one. Actually, God, I I look and, and all of our long history and all of this amazing stuff, compared to you, it's flat. These mountains, these great mountains that we look to, they are, they're not permanent at all. The eternal hills are leveled. And he looks again. He says, I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. The tents, the, the curtains of these two nations. Um, these, these are people in the south that, that be the first to, to see God coming towards his people. Um, we don't really know who they are. Bedouin tribes, maybe they're the same nation. Moses' wife, Zephyrah, is, is at one place called the Cushite, and another place she's called the Midianite. But there's, there's another possibility that, that maybe Cushan is a shortened version of, oh, I hate Hebrew names, King Cushan Rishathaim, um, who we all remember from Judges chapter 3, verse 8 to 11, was the oppressor who rose up against the people of Israel. They, they went into the promised land, they rebelled against God, and God, God said, right, King Cushan, whatever your name is, you're going to go and you're going to take over my people. And then God, when the people cried out, he raised up the, the judge Othniel, one of the lesser known judges. And Othniel was filled with God's spirit and he went to war against King Cushan Rishathaim and he won. Midian, uh, they're the ones who invaded the land of Israel. Same thing, God had tur- the people have tur- had turned against God. God sent the Midianites in, and then he raised up Gideon, the judge. And what do we see here? He says, I see the people of Cushan in distress, and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Why? 
because God has decided to save His people. See, all of these, all of these verses up to this point have been speaking about God the Savior. God the powerful one. God the one who comes to rescue His people. And then we see in verse 8, Habakkuk no longer just looks to the past. He, he instead, he's looked there, he's seen God. You are so great. Look at what you've done. And now he looks up and he says, God. Verse 8, was it in anger, Lord? Was it in anger that you, that you strode across and you struck the rivers and that you parted the sea? Was it in anger? Were you, were you angry with the water? Because you're so powerful. I mean, the parting of the Red Sea, the parting of the Jordan, um, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus telling the storm, shush up. Jesus and God in total command over these great forces of nature so that, so that even in Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 we, we see that there is no longer any sea that, that this, this thing which has cost so many lives and, and has been so dangerous is gone because God has decided there shall be no more danger was it in anger? do you remember what God did to the water? were you displeased with them? No. No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. He says, God's not this, this, this capricious person. Oh, water, water. God, when God acts and when we see God's power, says Habakkuk, wow. When we see God's power, it's because God is coming in salvation. God is coming to save. And when God comes, verses 9 to 11 show us the whole of creation just, just, just having this, this instinctual response to the presence of God and, and the mountains are writhing like someone in pain. Um, it's like, how can the created order stand the presence of the Creator? And the water's raging and raising up their hands and crying out. And, and the sun and the moon, if you remember back to Joshua, there was that time when he prayed, Lord, let the sun stay in the sky until we've beaten these people. And the sun stayed there. But, but here, as God comes in, in judgment against his enemies and in salvation of his people, we see God's coming, causing the sun and the moon to stay at home. God's presence causes darkness. I wonder, I wonder if you've ever thought about that. God's coming in judgment and salvation causes the darkness. Do you remember what happened on Easter Friday? As God both judged and saved. Darkness covered the land and the sun was hidden. And it wasn't just an eclipse because it lasted like three hours.
but does there even need to be sun? Because there is light there, and it's, it's here with the, the flashing of God's arrows and the spear, God's presence, and, and, and God's light himself. God's very presence obsoletes the light. Verse 12 says to us that, that peoples, it's not against the oceans, it's not against the seas that God marches, but it's against the nations. You marched across the land in anger and you trampled the nations in your fury. In those days, when agrarian society, if you wanted to get the, the wheat separated from the chaff, what you did is you, you put it all into a pit and you, you, you walked an ox around it and as they would trample it, they would break open the, the wheat grains and, and you would get rid of the chaff and you'd get the wheat out. And quite often you'd put like a, a, a metal sled behind the ox so that you'd really break these grains. This, this is what we see God doing. God is marching across the land and he is threshing the nations. Even, he told Habakkuk in chapter 1, threshing his own people looking for those who are righteous, looking for the kernel, looking for the remnant. He trampled the nations in his fury, but what is his fury? His love. His love in action. So why is he furious? Because he goes out, verse 13, to rescue his chosen people and to save his anointed ones to crush the heads of the wicked, strip their bones from head to toe. Ooh. If our God is for us, who could stand against us? This is what Habakkuk says. He says, God, I've looked in the past and I see your power and I know that you have acted to save. And I know that you do act to save. Your people, your, your ones that you have committed yourself to and who have committed themselves to you, the, the righteous ones who live by faith and your faithfulness and their trust in you. And the irony is that, verse 14, it's with his own weapons that God destroys the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, like a whirlwind thinking that Israel would be easy prey. The nation of Babylon fell when they thought they were secure. Read a bit of Daniel. You'll see about the, Pe the, the Medes and the Persians attacking them while they were having a, a meal. You know what? I love the way God saves. Because so often He saves by turning evil around and using it against itself. There's just so many examples. Do you, do you remember the, the story of Esther um, and her uncle Mordecai, hated by Haman? Haman decides he's going to kill Mordecai, so he builds a gallows. Friendly chap. What happens? 
Queen Esther speaks to the king. King gets really angry. Haman gets hung. Oh, we need a pair of gallows. Oh, look, he's just built one. Hang him on his own gallows. Isn't it the best example of the cross? Where Satan says, Ha! We shall do away with the Son. We shall rid the world of God. And instead, God says, Instead of doing away with me, you have signed your own doom. Death is defeated. And you will not last. I love how God does that. With his own spear, he beats the enemy who stands against God. And here comes the really exciting bit of Habakkuk. Verses 16 to 19. Habakkuk says, wow, when I look at this, my whole body just goes like into the... This is verse 2 again. It says, I stand in absolute awe of you, God. Like uh, my my insides are, are shaking. What a God is this? What a God is this? It's not a it's not a fear of God. It's it's a, an absolute respect for who God is. It's a bit like Isaiah, I think, who said, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a man, from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. I bet Habakkuk would love to be sitting here with us this morning. Because you know what? Our, our reaction to God is, is similar to his. It's, it's also, wow, what a God. But our reaction also looks to Jesus and goes, and his wrath was poured out not on me, but on him. And so Habakkuk sits there shivering we should be sitting here with our arms lifted high, praising God. But both of us then and now know something of who God is. And, and so Habakkuk says, you know what? You are God. You are incredible. You are mighty. You are powerful. And so I will wait here and I will let you be God. I will wait patiently for the day when you come in judgments against those who stand against your people. I will wait patiently because you will not abandon your people. Because I have seen a glimpse by looking into the past of the future. I have seen that you are the one who saves. I have seen that you are the one who is powerful. And I know that you are the one who will save. And I know that you are the one who will undo wrong and evil ultimately forever. And I will wait patiently. No matter what happens, 
You know, he says, verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vines, and the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, and the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. If all of this happens, basically, if if things go from bad to worse, and ultimately, at the end, if all of those things happen, you're living in not just financial ruin, you're living below the poverty line. you got no food, the crops... You don't have anything to eat. You don't have any sheep to eat. You don't have any cows to to till the fields next year. He says, if the worst happens to me, I'm still going to praise you, God. I'm still going to praise you. And I'm going to rejoice in you. And I'm going to be joyful in you. How can he say this? We were at music practice on Wednesday and, and we were talking about this and, and somebody says, oh, I'm not sure I could say that. Or words to that effect. How can Habakkuk say this? Who here finds it difficult to praise when life is, is pathetic? Of praise. Yeah. He will. He will rejoice. And you know what? Do you know, do you know why he can? He can choose to praise God because he knows that ultimately God is in control. And that God is the one who will vindicate his people. And that God is the one who will save. And that God is the one who is powerful. And that God is the one who has come and who will come. And that God is for his people. And it's taken him a whole long journey to get to that point. Because he started out at the beginning of the book going, God, are you still around? Wasn't praising then. Life was horrible and he wasn't praising. And then he he came to God and what did he do? He thought about all that God had done and he thought about God's response and he recognized that God was telling the truth when God said, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something about this world, old Habakkuk. And, and And he put all of this together and he says, yes, even though it gets worse than this, I can praise you God because I know who you are. You know what? If life is pathetic for us, try as you might to say, I will use my willpower to praise God, which is a good thing to do. You know what you need before you can do that? You need to go back and say, Who are you, God? Sorry, this is my Bible. (laughs) You need to pick up your Bible. You need to read and remember all that God has done. You need, to, you need to recall who God is. You need to think about the good things that God has done for us. You need to remember Jesus. And I love that this is a song that Habakkuk gives us. Because that's what this song does. It remembers who God is and what He has done and how powerful He is and how He comes to save. And then it finishes with, yeah, even though it gets worse, I'm going to praise you, God. 
You know what? If, if life goes down into the doldrums for you, sing a song. Sing a, a song that tells you about God. Sing a hymn. Um, I know a lady um, a couple of years back who, who had to go and get an MRI done. Very claustrophobic lady. And I've had MRIs and I've followed this advice. It's fantastic advice because I'm also claustrophobic. She said, the only way I got through it, Nick, was to sing songs of God's goodness. What a fantastic advice that is. And what a Habakkuk thing to do. What a Habakkuk thing to do to say, you know what? I will remember God. Do you know what else? Habakkuk says this is for the choir master. For the choir master, which means that it's not just a song that we have to sing to ourselves. By all means, let's, let's remember God when we're alone, but, but let's remember God in the midst of the assembly. Let's remind each other. We saw a few weeks back when we looked at the body that, that when one part is sore, every part is sore, and when one part rejoices, every part rejoices. And so let us encourage one another and say, hey, I know what you're going through, but do you remember what God did? Do you remember who God is? I love the book of Habakkuk. I, I really do. Because it teaches us to take everything to God. And when we remember Him, we find ourselves on the heights. Oh yes, it might still be horrible. But we have a perspective to see that God is doing and that God is acting. Amen. Never again read Habakkuk with the same eyes as I did before that sermon. Thank you, Nicholas, for explaining it to me because I did not understand it, but now I do know.